0: The following audio content is a talk from Convergence, a service for young adults at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at upc.org forward slash young adults. Hey, will you guys do me a favor? I don't don't ask uh, this a lot, but uh, uh, it's a cold night. Uh, It's a uh, night where I know that a lot of folks were scared of the snow. Can we do, would you just do this for, can we kind of come in close? Let's just pretend this is a fire, Okay. We're not actually on fire, but let's just put that the so far. Would you guys mind coming up, coming in close? Let's fill in these rows right here so we're together. Yeah, that's perfect, Kyle, right right there. That's, I, can, I can, you know, uh, kick it. That would be great. Yeah, thank you. Look at that. Bold people coming on up. Appreciate that. Oh, I love it. I always like having Thad on the front row. It makes me just, I know what he's doing, so it makes me feel better. Hey, I am glad you're here. Um, uh, after a day like today, and and, uh, and certainly uh, with things like snow, I know uh, you know some people need to be at home because they they feel more safe or whatnot. But I'm glad you're here uh, for us as we begin our time together, as we come together, as we worship. Um, we do, are going to be talking about liturgy a little bit. Um, I kind of didn't want Kyle to tell you that because I didn't. I kind of wanted to trick you into it. Uh, because I know that liturgy can be uh, sometimes a word uh, that's not very exciting. It can sometimes feel like if, if we have any church experience, we feel like, yeah, I've been to churches that talked a lot about liturgy. I didn't know what it was, and it was boring. Um, and yet there's something important that happens with uh, liturgy that speaks to the very uh, kind of core, in a sense, of who we are. This is what I shared last week. It wasn't connected necessarily with our, with our series, but what I shared with last week is just a reminder of what we are about at uh, Convergence. Uh, we do lots of things, but we don't always remember, perhaps or we just get in the motion, I get in the motion of them, of doing things uh, that are church, and you start to feel like, well, it's church, but sometimes I don't know why I'm doing it. Well, here's why we're doing it. This is my hope for Convergence, is that, is that what would be happening now, somehow, mysteriously, I don't take all the credit at all, but somehow would be a part of God doing something in your life so that 10 years down the road, 15 years down the road, 30, 40, 50 years down the road, you'd be able to look back and be able to say, I, God is doing something in me, that, that something in my life is, uh, I could say it's worthy of the gospel. And by worthy of the gospel, that means that there is a robustness, there is a strength to it, uh, to be able to go beyond ah, uh, church just kind of being something, or our life just being something, that, that, that you begin to transform your life, the trajectory of your family, that you become the person that is, doesn't just go along with what happens at, at, at work, but you actually might be part of changing the very culture of the place uh, that you're at, that you become a, a better father, a better mother than the ones that you had, uh, hopefully because they were better than the ones that they had. That you continue on that trajectory. But bigger than that, I'm hoping that you turn the world upside down. That's easy to say. Um, it, it's, uh, we all want to turn the world upside down. It feels sexy. It feels good. But I really do hope that you mess things up in the best of the uh, uh, of sense. Because God is about redeeming absolutely everything back into its proper place. And you get to be a part of it. That means whatever you do, whatever your vocation is, whatever your job is, wherever you're at, you can be a part of beginning to bring all the broken pieces back into harmony because that's what God is doing. And your story of him putting your broken pieces back together can actually get pulled up into uh, the cosmos. He uses this word cosmos in the Greek, which means world. In other words, everything being put back together because that's what God's about. That's what I hope happens here. And so I'm looking beyond a given night. I'm looking beyond a given series or a given year. I'm hoping that for your life, that your life is changed significantly. That the trajectory of your life moves into a place where God radically grabs you and changes your life and those around you. So that's big. That's what we're doing. Well, what we want to do now is we do get into these routines. We do get into these things that, you know, sometimes we wonder why it is that we're doing it. And what I want us to be able to do is to be able to, to, to kind of look behind the curtain, perhaps, on on some things and think, how is it that we begin to say, okay, that's a big vision. God's calling us into, into something uh, wonderful. But what do what do we do? And, and how does that actually uh, work? When we start talking about things like Christian growth, or maybe for you, if you're here for the first time, and I'm glad you are, and, and you're not even sure what's going on, you need to go, okay, I've heard about church, but I don't showing up, how does showing up to church or, or doing anything actually change you at all? Well, the problem is we start talking about mystery. And if this is totally confusing to you, you can just ignore this. I just sometimes I'm a visual person, so I like to try to figure out how I can how I can put this down. And and, and I'm a bad writer too, so we're in trouble. All right, we're gonna just hang with me a little bit. All right. But if we think about kind of a, of a person, we think about growth. Let you know any kind of growth, let alone spiritual growth. I'm gonna argue there's always a mystery, a sense of mystery in there because there's a bunch of ele- different elements that come together. There could be others, but I'm going to say you know, kind of who who we are and what we strive for, what we yearn for, what we try to what we try to achieve, whatever language you want to want to put in there. What we do, it, it's a combination of a couple things. First of all, it's kind of a, I'm going to just say core identity because we're, this whole thing's called core, so I have to fit it in whenever I can. Okay, core identity, or I'm going to say identity. Okay, our identity, who we believe we are, and it also has to do with our desires. Now, our desires uh, fundamentally are not bad. There's lots of desires. They're God-given desires, um, and they're not bad. Sometimes we think God desires, they don't go hand in hand. They they do, absolutely, okay? But let's just say, again, sorry for the bad drawings, but let's just say this is some way that we somehow want to expand, we want to grow, okay? There's a couple of things, I think, that that happen, okay? We've got to use our will, so we've got to make decisions, okay, okay? So you can decide. I want to grow in such a way. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start working out. I'm gonna force myself to do it. Great. Okay. You you bring in will. Well, you can also bring in. I don't know. It's a broad category. It's. Uh, I'm just gonna say something um, new, for lack of a better word. I think I was thinking of other things that would be weird. But anyways. So new. Okay. So you can say information. It's some like some sort of like uh, kind of stimulus into the system in a sense new information you'd go to a new church you could go uh to a new job so you go hey i want to i want a sense of growth in my job my job sucks all right well what could i do well i could try to work harder i could try to do a better job maybe i just need a new, a new job okay something new okay maybe i need new information maybe i need um uh i i just need a, a kind of a better plan okay you got something new we tend to hang out up here. And then I'm going to say, down here, though, this is what I was talking about a little bit last week, is we need, here's kind of motivation. is really important. Or I'm going to say, this is the why. Why would you do that? Why would you want to grow? Why would you want to, to, to put yourself in a risky situation? Why? It makes a big difference. Okay, why? Uh, uh, yeah, it makes a big difference. I'll come back to that in a second. And then I'm, going to, I'm just going to say, let's just call this the X factor. There's always something... That's outside of our control. A lot of these somewhat are in our control. X factor is always out of our control. And it happens all the time. Let me let me demonstrate. This is not just about kind of spiritual growth, okay? There's always a sense of uh, mystery. So think about a job. Okay, you can uh, apply yourself. You can apply yourself. You can write up a good resume. You can figure out how to, to interview really well. You can get uh, job skills, you know. So, you can you can kind of have good information, you can have will, you can you can want to kind of get get at that. You could still feel like you're the best person, and yet you're not given the job. And you go, what in the world? I'm the best person possible. I saw some of the jokers they were interviewing. I mean, good. I mean, that guy can't work at all, right? There's always this sense that no matter how hard you try, how, much, how good information you have... No matter what you feel like you want to get into, you know, you're, you have good motivation, there's still this X factor. There's still this mystery. And yet, hey, nothing's ever going to happen if you don't actually get your butt out there and hit the street. If you don't write up your resume. If you don't figure out what is it about this company that I, that I should know. If you don't keep yourself motivated. And this is where, man, job hunting. I get some of you guys are, are out there, you're looking for jobs, uh, just because you don't have one, you're unemployed right now, or you, or you want to change jobs, the, hard, the most brutal thing is to keep up the motivation, because man, your will just deteriorates. You sent out a million things, how do I keep my motivation up? I and mean, this becomes a big deal. Okay, another thing. Let's talk about relationships. Always a mystery, okay? We like to joke about it, but think about it, always a mystery. Dating, marriage, always a mystery anybody that tells you that they have it figured out is just lying and they're trying to sell you something okay do you have to apply well yes you better get out there you got you got to get out there and risk uh, new information i mean you could you could in a sense you could you could be sharp you could have you could have all you could think you could have it all together you could think you have the perfect date the perfect plan you're you think you're bold you're out there she could still look at you and go Gosh, you're, I mean, how many, how many of you have heard of this before? You know, you're, or from a guy or go, you you're so nice. I just, it's not you. It's me. Right. X factor. Boom. <laughs> Brutal. And you're like, come on. I just gave you the. This is my, my friend used to talk about the golden egg, right? When he would like, when he present the golden egg to girls, he, you know, it was like you, if you don't take that, you're not worthy of me. Right. The golden egg, you present the golden egg and they just go, Yeah. Oh, not really into you. And you're like, you're so frustrated, like, I, but everything, everything, it works, but it doesn't work. Anybody who's married will tell you at some point, look, at the end of the day, it's, it's a mystery. You could, I mean, married couples love to talk to single people about how, you know, how they can suddenly, suddenly make it work, right? For relationships. But at the end of the day, you just lucked out. Flat out, all right? Let me just tell you, that's, that's the truth. I'm married. At some point you go, I mean, because really you're gonna go, yeah, I could be suave, yeah, I was bold, yeah, there's all this stuff. I mean, if you don't get out there, of course you're not you're never gonna get a date if you don't actually date, right? So at some point you gotta get out there, at the end of the day, you just kinda go, if only he knew. If only she knew. I hope they don't find out, right? And so you try to get a ring on their finger. So <laughs> There's always, there's always a sense of mystery. And let me say this. Some of you will not get married. Some of you will be single. And you know what? It's not going to be because you're particularly broken or didn't do it right or, or are more messed up than anybody else. Because the most frustrating thing in the world is to see couples who you go, I don't know how that guy got married. He's a total idiot. I mean, he's just a doof. Why does she like him? I don't get it. Why does he like her? I don't get it. There'll be some of you that for whatever reason, the X factor, whatever reason, it just doesn't work out. And it's not because you are any uh, more or less uh, broken or good. It just doesn't happen sometimes. Kids, clearly there's will, all right? There's things you can do. Some people just cannot have kids. And yet there are some people who who it should be illegal for them to have kids the way they raise kids, right? Right? And you think, gosh, you're pregnant without even thinking about it. And we're, you know, we're spending thousands of dollars. X factor. What happens? Okay. I bring this all up because as we begin to think about things, so often what we talk about when we think about growth is we like to hang out up here. We like to talk about will. So this is Resolution. Okay, this tends to be grit in our teeth. New, we like to talk about new. Okay, I need a new plan. If I only had a new plan, I could change. This area of growth in my life would change. You know, maybe what I need is I just, I need a new church because this place, you know, sucks. And so that's the problem. So I'll I'll, I'll change churches. I need a new job. So I just need to move to a new job. I just need to, I just need to try hard. We like to hang out up here. And it's not that these things aren't important. But if you keep switching jobs after job, after job, after job, and everywhere you go, you're always persecuted. Maybe you need to start looking a little deeper. Okay, Maybe when you keep getting kicked out of jobs over and over again, maybe it's not always uh, there's something else we got to get into. What we don't want to talk about is the why and the motivation. The motivation, because this gets uh, we can talk about this gets a little bit trickier because this starts to talk about what our it starts to interact with our identity. So what I want to do as we go through uh, the next couple of weeks is I want to begin to kind of scratch the surface and begin to look at the whys behind some of the things that we do. within. And this is any, any kind of Christian gathering. It could be things that people think about in a worship service. It's also just what we do, why we do things within a Christian community. But so often we forget, I forget why we do it. And, and pretty soon, what it feels like is it just feels like, yeah, it just doesn't, it doesn't work. Well, part of the problem is that the why, we've forgotten the why. And the why gets lost. And our own growth gets shut down. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at these sort of elements um, that uh, the church has called liturgy. It's, it's called work of the people. It's, in a sense, there's part of this is an act of will. I mean, it's an act of will that you're in this room tonight. You got yourself here. And yet there's got to be more behind that if we're going to understand any sense of of interacting with something bigger than ourselves, with God, with any kind of a sense of growth. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at a couple elements. Gathered. Okay. Honest. Honest is going to talk about confession and assurance. Why do you do that? I mean, I'll just be honest. I get tired of, of saying confession week in, week out because, you know what, I'm just not creative enough to actually have anything really to feel like I need to confess. Okay. I'm fundamentally a boring person. Okay. I've been too good in my life. So why do I need to confess, uh, every week? What's going on with that? Okay. Illuminated. That's the sense of why do, we, what's important about coming around God's word? We always come around God's word when we have gatherings. Uh, they can look, uh, you can have a small group gathering. You could have a gathering, uh, like this. You could have something in a fancy sanctuary, uh, like next door. Secure. That has to do with a sense of, uh, this word sealing, which is this really weird word. And there are some liturgical acts or, or elements that are involved with that. And then we're going to look at, Um, a sense of being sent so all of these what i want for us to do is i want for us to not feel like we have to do anything what i want for us is is to perhaps examine or re-examine why it is that we do these things so that we can perhaps uh, enter into a place of growth uh, that might be bigger uh, than one we're experiencing now so we're going to talk about gathered. You're here, you're gathered tonight. There's a sense of, of it's important in the Christian faith to be gathered. And so what I want to do is we're going to be getting a little bit of a framework for tonight and how I'm, uh, I'm, I'm thinking about this, but also uh, we're going to start kind of right at the beginning. So to do that, we're going to uh, start it at Genesis. Um, so let me just pray, and then we'll, we'll jump in. Lord, thank you uh, for this evening. For those who are here, Lord, for those who are not here, Lord, we pray for safe travel all around. Uh, Lord, we pray we'd be present in this moment, that we would be able to hear what it is that you want to say. As we're gathered in this room from busy days, from various places, with uh, hearts that are heavy, hearts that are joyful, hearts that are full of doubt, hearts that are full of faith, hearts that are sad, hearts that feel like today was the biggest win. And Lord, we, we want to come before you. And we want you to be able to speak into that. And so, Lord, use your scripture. We pray as we look into it uh, to open our eyes. Um, help us understand what it is you're doing and what it is you're calling us to. In your name, Amen. One of the things that, um, as I think about this, I've I've always wanted to, um, I've always wanted to sort of peek behind. And I think as we begin to peek behind and say, ask questions around: What is it we're doing with these elements? What is the, what is the what is the why? I've wrestled with this a lot because I don't personally want to be involved in anything that doesn't actually matter. Um, you think about uh, just think about church, for instance. You know, a lot of times we come and we do things, and, and we think, well, if, you know, different music will help. Um, but the issue is, why. why? Why is why is that important? Why does it matter? Um, And I think it's this, it has to do with our identity. These elements, these ways that we interact and we grow, it has to do with our identity. And I think if we're going to understand that, we have to go to Genesis. So what I want to do is I want to read through Genesis a little bit with you. Some of you know this story, some of you uh, don't. But Genesis is all about origins. Um, The mistake is to think this is only about trying to figure out how how it all started sort of... um, to figure, a lot of times what happens is we argue over Genesis because we're trying to figure out exactly how the earth came around, came to be. And what we miss is that it's talking about, yes, it's talking about that, but it's also talking about larger issues of origins. It's fundamentally the Hebrew people looking out and saying, there are lots of stories of the ways that things begun. We want to be able to, uh, to write down what it is, That is fundamentally different about God that begins to speak into the origins of how uh, all things came to be. Not just technically origins that's boring nobody really cares about that but the origins of you and me who are we who is who is god fundamentally uh what is this place that we're in what is the nature in a sense of the universe i've said this before one of the most fascinating things about this is that in a context where everybody was saying the universe the world came out of chaos it is chaos and it is violence It is a travesty. It's a throwaway. It's a God that lost and was bloated, carcass was thrown, and we're just unfortunate people that have to sit on it. When the Bible's being written, they're saying, I want to tell you something different. The world was was created out of love. It was uh, created in order. It was created uh, out of joy. It was created with purpose. And so were we, and so was everything else. Fundamentally different. We read the, go through the creation story, and now we, we get to uh, kind of the bad news, uh, which is commonly called the fall. We read this Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree of the garden? The context of this is that there was, they were in the garden, they were given lots of trees, lots of trees to eat. And there was a tree, one tree, that they were not supposed to eat, and there was the tree uh, of life. So, so suddenly there's this question of, do you, really? You're not supposed to... Did God say that um, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, "...we can eat from the trees in the garden, but God said, "...you must not eat the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die." He didn't say you must not touch it. You will uh, will not surely die, the serpent uh, said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it then the eyes of, then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized that they were naked and so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves now the man and his wife heard the sound of the lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the lord god among the trees of the garden but the lord god called to the man where are you he answered i heard you in the garden and i was afraid because i was naked and so i hid and he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman you put, you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Okay, some of what's going on here. The, the tree of life, the, in the very center of the garden is this tree of life. And the tree, the tree is there for the absolute flourishing of humanity to, 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 to guide this new creation to its its absolute full um, potential, and then you have this tree, which is this intriguing thing that sometimes it's one, we wonder what to do with this knowledge of, of good and evil, and essentially what that is is that the knowledge of good and evil we, we could spend weeks talking about that. tree the knowledge of good and evil essentially is to say to be able to have the wisdom and insight to. To, um, to be able to discern how does life best flourish, how does life best work, what is good for life, the flourishing of life, what is evil for the flourishing of life, what works against it, so you have these two things that are, that are working together, you have, so you have the tree of life, which, which is there, and then you have the tree of the knowledge um, of good and evil, What's interesting is that they are set up, and in a sense, you see that the first thing that God says is, "It's not good for man to be alone." So He creates a helper. Everything is set up for the absolute flourishing of life, except for one thing: just don't eat from the tree. Now, the inter the, of oh, good and evil, the interaction here, you can begin to see how things get how things get twisted. And pretty soon, what's going on is, is there's, this, there's this question, and the question really is a over-trust. The question really has to do with, are you alone? Are you okay? Are you taken care of? Or are you fundamentally in trouble if you don't do something right now? See, when we start talking and we start thinking about how is it that, that we begin to, to grow, so often what we want to talk about are very, very practical things. We want to just talk about, we just want to kind of hit, get right to the, the very center of it. And so you see, you know, for Eve, she's like, well, you know, I, I got to be, you got to be, Eat. it's good to eat, um, wisdom, it looks good. So often what we want to do is, is go right to uh, these practical considerations. We think that, if, that somehow those are the things that should define our decision making. What happens, though, is that with the God, with this tree, this, this uh, tree of good and evil, that when they eat, God is not, I want to be clear about this, God is not against the expansion of knowledge. What God is not against is saying, I just want to make sure that they kind of stay dumb and naked, and then it's going to be good, right? He's not into that. That's the mistake to make, to, to, to think when we come out this from a, of a sense of going, you know what, God is really just about holding down humanity. He, he, is, he wants humanity kind of in a subservient place. That's not what is going on. When you come into this place to make decisions fundamentally about what is good for life, what is bad for life, the only way you can do that is if you have knowledge of everything through space and time. And we don't know that. The to be able to take the knowledge of good and evil, but what fundamentally was being said is that I want to take that responsibility on myself because I do not trust that God has my best in mind, that what the Creator that has given me everything that I have needed He he asked me simply to leave that alone, and yet I'm going to take that on myself because it's not really that I'm interested necessarily about knowledge. I just want the practical tools so that I can make things happen myself. I want to take the responsibility fundamentally to be able to figure that out on my own. I will make my own judgments about what is best for the flourishing of life or for what is evil. The problem is that's too big a responsibility. The problem is it's too weighty because we don't know everything. We, we don't get how everything fits together. We don't know all the dynamics that go into things. We don't even know when sometimes we need to hold off for just a little bit longer or when we should jump in. So that, God is not saying, I want you just to be subservient. I want to be, This is where we get mixed up so much because we think, well, I throw off the shackles what God has done. Because God really doesn't want me to succeed. He just kind of wants to keep done. It's, no, it's about saying, look, God knows. He put everything together. He created everything. He created everything with a purpose. He knows how it works. So to be able to take the responsibility to fundamentally judge how life works best is too big a responsibility. It's me saying, I, I, I will be the ultimate judge of that instead of living in a place of relationship. Eve and Adam, it's not Eve's fault, by the way, Adam and Eve decide, I will choose to live in isolation instead of relationship, because fundamentally, I think that that's the best way to go. This is what we call capital S sin. Okay, We get off track when we begin to think that um, things like sex or swearing or not having your shirt tucked in, or, you know, is what God cares about, right? Sometimes we get that sense that church is what church is. They, they care about kind of this moral behavior. Yet, there could be ramifications of that, but those things are really come out of this place, first and foremost, as I was saying, I am a can totally um, judge. I am the judge, ultimately, of how life um, should work. Motivations. God. They separate themselves fundamentally from God. So let's see how that works out. So, Genesis chapter 4. Okay? They get kicked out of the garden. There's implications. And we, we, we read of the first offspring. We read this, that Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. She later gave birth to Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But Cain, and his offering, he did not look on with favor. And so Cain became very angry and his face was downcast. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do not do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door, desires to have you, and you must master it. But Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. And while they were there in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what is it you have done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and you are driven from the ground. It goes on to say, when you work the ground, it will no longer yield crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And and Cain eventually goes, look, this is too much for me. Whoever will find me will, will kill me. So you begin to see the immediate implications. What does it look like for me to be totally autonomous from God? Well, you see the implications quickly in Adam and Eve. They turn on each other. They don't grow in any sense. They, they become immediately fearful. What's the implication of Cain? Look at what Cain does. Cain is saying, I don't know why is it that he gave a grain offering versus a, a different kind of offering. The, the point is this, that God clearly said you by implication, look, that's not the offering I asked. But Cain said, look, I don't really care about you. I don't really care what you want. This is what I think is best. I'm going to give you a grain offering. How does that work out for him, right? We see immediately he decides to choose relationship based on his terms alone. Then he gets angry. Then he gets violent. Then he gets fearful. You see, at the end, he ends up becoming this restless wanderer driven by fear. So my question is fundamental for us as we think about this, alone or gathered. What is it that is true about you at your core? Is it primarily that it is only you, and that uh, only it is only you, or other others and God in the mix? See when we come together and we have we come together into a place like this or we come together around a bible study or we or 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 we come together and we we bless each other and pass the peace what we're fundamentally beginning to change is to say uh, i am beginning to reform my core i think fundamentally worship is about reforming what is broken in genesis 2 uh, 3 and 4 the motivation becomes different the why why do i do this Am, am, I in this, am I growing? Am I doing this because I'm fundamentally alone? So therefore, I need to earn somebody's affection. I need to earn somebody's love. I need to earn God's love. I need to prove to him that I'm okay. Or am I doing this out of a sense of gratitude? Because, man, that's, that's just who God has made me to be. I, I, I'm doing this out of a sense of I'm loved. I'm cared for. It drives your actions um, in very, very different ways. When we come together in a a place like this, see, we we begin to say a couple of things. One, um, we're broken. And really, it's a way of saying we're human. It's a way of saying, look, I am not, I don't get everything. I don't understand everything. There are mistakes that I have made. And when you walk in this room, so often what we do when we try to come together in groups is, see, we we say, "Well, I'm going to come with people who have kind of a, a similar likeness." Therefore, that's how we can have a sense of commonality, right? That I'm going to prove to you that I'm I'm hip, or I like the right music, or I play the right sports, or um, I, I can I watch the right shows. That's where our commonality comes in. I have to somehow prove because really I'm alone and I have to prove myself. But when you come in here, you come in here and you hang out with people that you probably don't like. You don't have to prove anything. And I'm not saying that when you walk into a church, you always feel this. I know, unfortunately, that sometimes when you walk into any kind of Christian gathering, sometimes you feel like you have to. That's a mistake. That's us drifting up into here. That when we come together and we gather, fundamentally, it is an affirmation. It is a reminder that I don't have to have it Altogether, that the people that are in here could be making a lot more money than me, could not have a job, could be down and out, could come from a broken family, could come from a, a healthy family. It's not about what I can do to prove to other people. That's not how I make my decisions. It, it fundamentally is about the fact that I I need help, and, and we're all in here saying I'm looking for insight something that is bigger than me and I'm in here with others. And and so when you begin to feel like, gosh, I feel like a failure, but I can't admit that to anybody. I I feel like I just don't get relationships right. I feel fundamentally like I'm broken instead of trying to pretend, well, I'm alone, so I better make sure that nobody ever experiences that. I don't even want to share that. I don't even want to allow myself to hear that. You can finally let that go and go, gosh, I'm not supposed to bear all that weight. To figure it out. I'm not supposed to figure it out all on my own. The other thing is you come in this place and you can and you can also hear that, that when you walk in here, it's an admission that, that I need help. But it's also you come and you look at a whole bunch of people that are that, that have said, Yeah, I, I need mercy, but you know what? I've also received mercy. That that fundamentally I'm loved. That God has said you don't have to earn anything. You just you just need to open your hands to me, and you got it. You have my love. You have my forgiveness. That when we walk in this place, it is not because of anything you've done. But man, you just got it because it is my absolute free gift. I, I, My whole deal is to, is to pick people up out of the mud. You just got to admit you're in the mud. Where we make mistakes and where we begin to, the things that we do, let's just say the liturgical things that we do in, in a church or the, the activities we do in a church, when they, get, when they begin to, to go bad and lead us in a whole different direction is when we begin to think, well, I'm actually pretty hot. I'm pretty good. I'm not like them. And so you're up here doing these things, but really you're doing it because you go, well, this is what you do and this is what makes me better than somebody else. Man, and then you begin to maybe wonder, why does things start drying up? Why does it feel like you're not really growing? Why is it, you end up, you end up going the way of Cain. You end up getting angry. You end up doing things kind of on your own way and you get mad. If anybody wants to suggest anything else, you become, you end up getting brittle. You end up getting bitter. Colossians three um, begins to talk about this in a different way, and, and Paul talks about unity. And I just want to—I'm not going to read it all. You can read it all, but Colossians three is talking about this new community that comes together. See, when you Paul's saying, "Look, you, if we're going to start talking about different behavior, if we're going to—if you're going to—if you're said, I, I 'I'm t- I'm tired of fear,' I'm tired of anger, I'm tired of um, I'm, tired, I'm tired of relating sexually in a way that just ends up hurting the next morning. I'm, I'm tired of feeling so alone. It starts with you understanding that you've been called as God's chosen people. He says, beginning of chapter 3, it's not up on the screen, but it says, since then you have been raised with Christ. The only thing that binds you together is Christ? Don't don't mistake that it's how holy you are, or how good you are, or what you do or what you have. Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is. Goes on later says they're put to put to death. Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature—sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, idolatry—because of um, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, but now you have got to rid yourselves of these things. And then he goes on and talk about. As God's whole uh, chosen people put on compassion, kindness, gentleness, humility. See, here's the thing: if when we begin to we look at that list and we go, if I'm honest, in that at least in my heart, I see some of that stuff—rage, anger, malice. You're not gonna. You can put all the will you want. You can try all the tricks you want. It will not change if you fundamentally think I have to protect myself. It will not change. You can try all you want. You can go to all the churches you want. It won't, will not change. You have to begin to, to change the motivation to go. Because if I have to protect myself, that if I ha, if I'm the sole one that is going to take care of me, you're not going to be able to let that stuff go as hard as you um, try. The other thing that the, the gifts uh, we, we come and we begin to, to, to begin to see ourselves perhaps different. Um, when we gather together, we also begin to see that I don't have to, not only do I have to make the decisions and know everything, but I don't have to be everything. So I can begin to come into this place and go, look, I'm just part of a body, I'm part of a community, and so I, can, I don't have to pretend to be everything, I can just be who I am. And slowly we begin to, to, to let go of some things. We begin to, to accept the, the gifts from others, which fundamentally we want to do, because it's too exhausting to try to have to do everything yourself, especially when you know, gosh, I'm just not good at some stuff that I need real help with. Question for us is, are we willing to do the hard work? Because the motivation stuff, this is hard work. It asks some challenging questions, some really vulnerable questions. This is what I want to invite you into. This is what I want to put on your radar as you come into any kind of gathering. How can I begin to to develop what's going on with motivation, the why. How do I begin to speak into my core identity of who I am? I, I can say I'm a Christian, but my core identity fundamentally can still be driven by fear. Time after time again, we bring ourselves into a place so that we can begin to look into the face of God, the X factor in many ways, and go, what does God say about me? Who does God say I am? Who, who does the community of people around me say that I am? It's hard work, and it's work that most of us don't want to do. But it's the only way I know how to grow, you guys. It's the only way I know to be able to, to move forward. If you're going to be like, I, I shared a, a, my friend Connie, who I just look at, and I go, man, I want to be an old person like he is. If I'm going to be like that, it's going to be by day by day coming into a place where I, my identity is rooted in the fact that I need to trust in God, that it is I am not on my own and I need Him, His insight. I need His people to come alongside of me. I need Him. The thing I respect so much about Him, I mentioned this before, is when I run into old people who seem like the most saintly people I know and they go, gosh, I'm learning so much each and every day. Because they're in a place where they're open to, absolutely open to who God is. They're bringing, they're at, they're using their will. They're using knowledge and insight and experience, but they're open to people, to to receive from people. They don't, they're not trying to prove themselves to people. They're not trying to hold, hold, kind of hold up the wall around people so people can't see into them. Man, they're letting people begin to just speak truth into their life. That's why they become, that's why they're so great instead of being crusty. It's hard work. Let me give you an example. I've wondered whether I should share this or not, but I um, I will. Um, And I say this because um, um, what we're being called to you guys is not to tinker around the edges. What I long for you is to be changed at the core. Not to act courageous, but to be courageous. Not to act beautiful or look beautiful, but to be beautiful. Not to act selfless, but to be selfless and to let it come out of who you are. But the only way you do is you get yourself in here and fundamentally you put yourself in a place where God can begin to speak into your life. But it means looking deeply at yourself. It means looking into those places that you don't want to look. Over the years, I have um, felt like um, there's been a side of things that have been really, really hard. For me. There have been ways in which I've been frust- really frustrated with myself. There have been ways in which I feel like um, I undermine myself. There have been ways in which I feel like um, I'm not growing and I can't figure out why. I feel like I, I'm, always, I'm always missing something. And so over the years, I have worked really hard. I've applied my will. Okay, I've made it through Greek. I don't like Greek. Okay, I've made it through Greek, and I've learned something. I've made it through accounting. I hate accounting. For you, those of your accountants, Lord bless you. I hate it. Okay, I can do it. I can. I can grit my teeth and do it. Okay, I've tried new it. I've tried to think. Okay, what? Maybe I need to change routines. I need to change things up. I, I've tried this for years and years and years. Eventually, I begin to think, what if there's something, and I've been in situations, and let me say this, I, I've, I've been in situations, I go, I blamed the people, the situation, the company, and I've gone, you know, what's? I'm not growing here because of them. Eventually, over the last while, because I've been in community, because I've had people who have known me, um, my wife and others, um, I began to recognize. I think that there's something else, and and what I ended up getting diagnosed with and looking into is that I have ADD. Okay, I don't want I don't say that easily because sometimes it can feel like it's voyeuristic, or um, and I don't I haven't shared because I have felt like fundamentally I've had to protect myself, motivation, my identity. I've had to protect myself because I don't want people to judge me based on what they think about ADD. I I can't imagine. a condition or whatever it is that has more um, uh, misunderstanding around it than ADD. Okay, I make jokes about it for that matter. Okay, I, People joked about me being ADD. What I didn't want to look at, I wanted to think, okay, if I just pray harder, if I just do, but maybe what I need to do is I need to actually look into this. So I went and, and I sat down with somebody who was able to diagnose it, and they're just like, yep, yeah. <laughs> there you are. Well, here's one of the X factors. One of the X factors is that chemically, my brain just looks different. It just works different. So I've actually used meds. I've tried meds. And here's the thing that's interesting to me. If your brain worked normally, the meds that, that I've tried would freak you out. I take them, and I mellow out. What's up with that? So now, there's, here's an X factor, even outside of who God is. There's something about my, my own chemistry about this. I don't want to have to admit it, it feels, it feels shameful, I'm afraid that I'll be judged, I'm afraid I'll be written off. Because I've also told you in another context that I feel like I have some gifts around prophecy, and I have some energy. And what I don't want is when I say something that might be challenging is for people to go, oh yeah, that's the ADD. No, maybe it's just true. And you don't want to hear it. I, I have a high degree of energy in some ways, and that, that's, that's an unbelievable blessing. And then it also gets me. Maybe some of what has made things so difficult for me, though, too, is the fact that uh, I'm a perfectionist and I'm a workaholic, and somewhere I learned that if, I, if I'm going to uh, have any value, I have to produce. I've had to look at my identity. The challenge for us sometimes is that we want to come up with simplistic answers to grow, and it's never that simple. It, looks, it takes all of these things. sometimes. And this is why I say this partly because if you feel like you Christians can't take meds, it's not true. Okay, meds don't solve the problem at all. In fact, what a lot I've had to do, I've had to examine what I think about myself and my identity. I've had to apply my will. I've had to apply information, and I've had to sit before God and go, "God, you made me this way. I'm going to take what I have. I'm broken." I don't get it all, but you want to use me. And he's beginning to use all those things to begin to transform me, partly by saying, you can let go of a lot of stuff. You don't have to keep proving things. Um, that's how we begin to change ourselves from the core that begins to change our actions.